I'm Rabina Ahmad Haq, and this is The Alex Pearson Show. Well, minimum wage workers are seeing a 50 cent per hour raise this month, and that's thanks to a cost of living adjustment that came into effect at the beginning of October, October 1st. Uh, Things like food, housing, everything is up, and uh, there has been a lot of push uh, to raise the minimum wage to make life more affordable for those who live, especially in big, expensive cities like Toronto. Uh, The increase now brings the minimum wage to $15.50. If you make that full-time all year round, your salary would be $32,000 a year uh, for 52 weeks for about 40 hours a week. So is it enough? Is this increase to minimum wage enough? And what more can we do uh, support to support those workers who are uh, working in the lowest income jobs? We are joined now by Kate Eschner. She's TVO's affordability reporter. Hi, Kate. Rubina. I uh, wanted to, I think I've pronounced your first name wrong. I think it's Kat. Is that right? Yep. Yep. But that's, you're, you're, you're certainly not the first. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. With a name like Rubina Ahmed Haq, I get uh, a lot of botched uh, sure. versions of my own name. So I, I appreciate you understanding. Um, Kat, tell me, uh, you know, is this enough? Is this 50 cent increase that we saw, at, you know, the first one since 2018? What does, does that, uh, does that really move the needle for those people working in minimum wage jobs? I mean, honestly, uh, I feel like most of the people I interviewed for this story would say no. Um, and, uh, you know, I think if most of us think about fifteen fifty an hour, we can say that's, I couldn't probably live on that. I also think it's worth noting, um, you mentioned the sort of per year, like full-time, um, it was just over $32,000. Uh, like if you worked that wage full-time all year, mm-hmm. most minimum wage workers we know don't work full-time and it's not because they don't want to necessarily. It is partly because companies, because uh, if you have a full-time worker, you have obligations to that worker that are very different than a part-time worker and are, you know, substantially more. Um, Companies don't want, who want a lot of minimum wage workers don't want full-time workers. They want part-time workers um, because it is is simply a, a, a lower cost and obligation to them. That's part of the reason. There are a number of other reasons why minimum wage workers don't tend to be full time. But I do think as well, like when we're thinking about this, it's not fifteen fifty an hour um, for forty hours a week for fifty two weeks a year. It's fifteen fifty an hour for you know twenty five or thirty hours a week, um, which is a very different calculus uh, if that's your main source of income as well. And that puts workers in a really precarious situation because then they have to go out and get a second job, uh, perhaps still at minimum wage, but Mm -hmm. that means maybe traveling to another part of the city, uh, maybe having to work in hours that don't uh, fit with their lifestyle because now they've got two different employers who have got two different demands of them. Um, in In a city like Toronto, what does a person have to make at a minimum in order to have an average life here that they can afford? So this is uh, a question that luckily we know some of the answers to. Um, So the Ontario Living Wage Network, um, which calculates this this sort of uh, what what, what they consider, um, you know, the hourly, they call it the hourly wage a worker needs to earn to cover their basics uh, and participate in the community. So like this is a basic wage. In Toronto, a full-time worker, they think, needs to make $22.08 per hour. So that's, again, full-time in order to meet their basic sort of financial obligations. Um, they, they put a lot of work into these calculations, which they release annually. This mm-hmm. year's, um, 
so 2022s will be coming out in November. And the uh, spokesperson for the network that I spoke to said that they, you know, the, these rates have only gone up in the least expensive part of the province to to make a living in, um, Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, it's this the work a, a worker would still need to earn 1630 to make that standard, um, which is still substantially more than the minimum wage currently is. Yeah, even $22.08 an hour works out to about $44,000 a year. And in a really expensive city like Toronto, where a one-bedroom apartment is now close to $2,000, if not yeah. more, uh, that, you know, for a family is, uh, is uh, can be, uh, really can be a financial impossibility. Uh, what do you say to the critics that say that a lot of the minimum wage jobs are held by students or those who have... Uh, other supports at home, and that it's not the sole breadwinner uh, bringing home this money. It's in addition to other salaries that are coming into that household, and that uh, you know that minimum wage jobs often are not uh, considered uh, to be the type of jobs that are that uh, someone would have if they have children or or further along in their career. Well, there's really two responses to that, and one is that we know for a fact um, from. Uh, like StatCan's own numbers, that only about 30% of minimum wage workers in Ontario are under 20 years old. Mm-hmm. So that means that, and it's, this has been a, a fairly fast transition. This has been since, you know, the, the, the two, early 2000s, so 2005 to 2019, there was this massive shift from the predominant number of minimum wage workers to being students or people under 20 to the predominant number of minimum wage workers being adults. So what that means is that like most minimum wage workers are doing this, this is their career style job. This is their job. This is what they do for work, which also like it lines up with what you see when you go places that pay minimum wages or those lower wages. So lots of jobs that are in the service sector or hospitality. You think about who's serving your coffee, who's checking out your groceries, who's taking your call at a, you know, uh, some sort of hospitality uh, institute. Um, those people do tend to be adults um, these days, and they also, over, you know, more than men tend to be women, um, and they tend to be urban. So those are the people who are making minimum wage. The other thing that's worth considering, I think, is that, you know, there's this really long association with the minimum wage being, uh, and, and lower wages generally being given to women. And one of the mm-hmm. reasons for this has always kind of been that or that the rationales for this has always kind of been that sort of that very, very outdated idea that, you know, men are the primary breadwinner and they go and they make the main wage. And then, you know, maybe the woman who, who in this sort of like outdated idea is also parenting, doing the main house duties, all that stuff, um, you know, goes and makes like a side wage that sort of helps out. Mm-hmm. So even in cases where, even in families that are still set up that way, where, um, you know, the main breadwinner is male, uh, and is going off to work and making the main income. The fact that women are adding to this with, like, are more likely to be adding to this with minimum wage jobs really decreases their independence and decreases their access to capital, which they may need if, for example, they want to leave or even just to have sort of an equal partnership. Um, I, of course, money isn't the only thing that figures into having that kind of equal partnership, but. It is a significant uh, factor, and I think that like it's worth thinking when we're thinking about minimum wage rates, the fact that these disproportionately affect women and working class women. Yeah, it definitely gives you agency to leave if you want to leave a situation, whether it be whatever the reasons may be that you do no longer want to be in that sure. relationship. If you have a salary and can support yourself, 
um, then it's a much easier decision to make. Where does the responsibility lie? So the, the government, you know, the provincial government will set the Ontario minimum wage. Um, is it, do we need to encourage companies to pay adults more to do a job, whether it be the person who is at a coffee shop or whether it's person who's answering the phones? Do we need to, is that what needs to be incentivized is companies to pay individuals more? Because um, it, it's not really about equality. It's about equity because that person who answers the calls mm-hmm. at the at the store is still adding value to that company uh, the same way that someone who may be in the back, maybe putting something together and, and getting paid three times as much as that person answering the phone who happens to be a woman as well. Yeah. Um, so I think the other, sorry, just the other thing I wanted to add to the, um, the previous point is just that, um, you know, minimum wage raises have the biggest positive effect. Uh, other studies have shown on women workers who are black. So race is another important component to think about here. But I also think, so when we think about who has an obligation to sort of set a higher minimum wage to make sure that the wage is viable, I think we do have to look to government for this guidance because companies, I mean, even companies that mean very well, they are acting in their own interest. They have obligations that are to their workers, but they also have major obligations to people like shareholders, mm-hmm. to the owners of the company, to other people. Government really sets the tone for what the minimum wage is. And then that sort of minimum general wage, all other wages kind of exist in relationship to that number. And when it's fifteen fifty, when it's not a living wage, um, you know, when it's not an amount of money that's affordable... What is government really saying with that? Um, I think that it's also um, worth considering, again, that, you know, the majority of minimum wage workers are adults. They are not people who um, who don't have obligations. They are not that sort of stereotype of like a 15-year-old who has a part-time job out of school, who, frankly, uh, you know, if they're doing the same work, I, I think it's also worth considering why they get a, a lesser wage. The student minimum mm-hmm. wage is less. Um, but... Like it's it's just worth thinking about this because um, the minimum wage wage really does set the tone for wages more generally, especially lower wages. Kat, this is so important. Uh, this conversation, uh, especially for those individuals who live in the city of Toronto, especially for women of color, especially who tend to um, to to have mm-hmm. these jobs at a higher rate. Uh, I want to just change gears quickly. We have about thirty seconds. Uh, what are you working on next uh, as TVO's affordability reporter? For sure. Um, So next, I am writing about uh, how municipal governments impact affordability issues. So this is sort of a primer intended to give voters some things to look for when they go to the polls on October 24th to elect their municipal representatives. Very timely, considering we're heading into a municipal election this Mm -hmm. month. Thanks so much, Kat. Uh, I really appreciate your time and uh, for breaking down this important story. Thanks so much. Take care. That's uh, Kat Eschner. She's TVO's affordability reporter. I'm Rubina Ahmed-Huck, and this is The Alex Pearson Show.